team and I too am disappointed to not see David up here again this week <laughs> didn't we have some challenges the last few weeks given to us and if you missed it um, go back and check it out we also had a great time together last week in this place Sunday night did we not Ooh, it was great to get together this time has been just a set of anniversaries that I've been measuring. Two years ago on Friday was the last time I took one of my nieces to dinner for a long time. Saturday was the two-year anniversary of my wife's shoulder surgery, where while I was in the waiting room, they canceled everything. The ACC tournament, March Madness, seemed everything and so it was good to get together with you guys and sing and uh, it was all special honoring Jim I, I hope you were blessed I know I was so we are in Ephesians but I want to review before we do I want to review what David covered the last four weeks and make sure that that as as these things uh, reside in your heart and your head David covered the lies that divide us and I'm going to list the four of them here. And for those of you that were here the last four weeks, these will resound, and I challenge you to dig into them even more. Lie number one, my schedule and lifestyle can never be changed by anyone besides myself. And these lies are all sound extreme, but boy, do they ring true. Second lie, I must be completely cared for and looked after by the church whenever I need it in the exact way I want it. In the last couple weeks, the third lie, no one can know that I am weak, that I am wrong, or that I need help. And the fourth lie that we covered last week, everyone must always agree with me. Are you sure that's a lie? Huh. Okay. Hey, um, so if you didn't catch all of those, they are on our Facebook page, on our YouTube channel. Man, great challenges for us in our thinking that can affect a lot of areas of our lives. But we're back in Ephesians. So if you'd open your Bibles uh, to Ephesians chapter 3, sermon title today, Mind Blown. Sounds just like that. Mind blown. We're going to be in Ephesians 3, verses 1 through 13. I checked to make sure I was using the term properly. Dictionary.com says mind blown is used as an exclamatory response to surprising or interesting facts or enlightening information. So it fits. We are going to go through today's passage Ephesians 3, verses 1 through 13, verse by verse, and you will see why I titled it what I did. But I want to stick to, if you recall, six weeks ago, the last time I was up here, 
we finished up Ephesians 2. And I made this point. The mission that Jesus was sent on created a society unlike any other. We are that society. And that's where Paul last left us at the end of Ephesians 2. Again, you can go back and listen to that if you missed it. And we're going to counter that to what is what's going on a little bit in our world when we talk about this new society. But the world has problems, right? Yes. It has pain. It has struggles. We know that it's because of sin. The Bible tells us clearly. Creation has been cursed, and we've inherited a sin nature. And those that do not believe the Bible think that we are basically good. And we can get better. The problems that we have individually or as a community can be solved if we just come together. If we could pull together our resources our technologies, our brains, our money, we can make heaven right here on earth. God doesn't need to make heaven. We can make heaven. We can make all of our dreams come true if we just work together. Century after century after century, how has that worked out for us? Hmm? In the 21st century, how has that worked out for us? Heaven on earth, a man-sized solution to a God-sized problem. And so I present to you Telosa. You're like, what? Haven't heard of Telosa? I'm looking around to see who's Googling it, because you can. Someone at work was listening to a podcast. Well, they were, it's okay, it's all right. And so I'm just going to quote a major news source here. The cleanliness of Tokyo, the diversity of New York, and the social services of Stockholm. Billionaire Mark Lohr has outlined his vision for a five million person new city in America and appointed a world famous architect to design it. Now he just needs somewhere to build it and $400 billion in funding. The former Walmart executive last week unveiled plans for Tolosa, a sustainable metropolis that he hopes to create from scratch in the American desert. The ambitious 150,000-acre proposal promises eco-friendly architecture, sustainable energy production, and a purportedly drought-resistant water system. A so-called 15-minute city design will allow residents to access their workplaces, schools, and amenities within quarter-hour commute of their homes. Although planners are still scouting for locations, possible targets include Nevada, Utah, Idaho, Arizona, Texas, and the Appalachian region, according to the project's official website, Hollis did not make the cut. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, I, I try not to be cynical. I try not to be a cynic in general. I try, and I, I think as Christians, I've even, I've even preached from up here, we are to be the most positive people on the planet. But when my employee was listening to this podcast, 
I got cynical. I was like, oh, you're not putting any people in that, right? There's not going to be any divorce in this town, right? Husbands and wives will all get along. Children will always obey. No one's going to hurt each other. man-sized solution to a God-shaped problem. And you can dig into that, Google Tolosa and all that kind of good stuff. But what's at the center of all of it? It's us. The center of it is us. The center of it is our stuff, our happiness, our comfort. So I just want to counter that with what's at the center of the new society that Jesus created. And we, 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 we dug into it in chapter 2 and we're going to blow it up here today. What's the center of the new society that God has created? The center is Jesus. And so I want to just read, if you've got your Bibles, I don't have it up here. I want to read through the last few verses of the end of chapter 2 as we head into chapter 3. Starting with verse 18. Talking about this new society, talking about Jesus. It says, verse 18 of chapter 2. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles. Verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's where chapter 2 ended just this massive declaration of Paul and the beauty of the church and how it's on the foundation of Christ. And so this is just crazy stuff. We saw a little over a month ago. And Paul starts the very next verse. We're going to dive into chapter 3. And if you forgot to bring your Ephesians ESV journal, uh, sorry, bring it next week. Verse 1 of chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And so let's just stop right here. We're going to go through this verse by verse. We're going to go quicker through some areas than others. But let's just stop right here and just give a quick aside. You've got to be careful in a section as rich as this. I need to be careful not to go on all kinds of tangents. So if you see me walk away from here, um, worry. Um, Isn't it beautiful that Paul, who is sitting in a Roman prison sees himself as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. As far as the Romans were concerned, he was a prisoner of Rome. That's not how Paul saw it. If Paul was anywhere, he was there for Jesus. If you were an accountant, he'd be an accountant for Christ Jesus. If he was an auto mechanic, he'd be an auto mechanic for Christ Jesus. Whatever you do, do for the glory of God. Paul is modeling this. Even prison, yes, even prison, Wow, and he says, I'm a prisoner on behalf of you Gentiles. Paul's mission to Ephesus started like every one of his missions. He started at the synagogue. So this church that he planted, he started in the synagogue. He had an open door there. He trained under Gamaliel, one of the greatest Jewish minds of his time. He was a Pharisee. He had street cred. He could go into the synagogue. They'd be like, oh, there you are. And then he'd start preaching the gospel And they kicked him out. Happened over and over and over. Got kicked out for preaching Christ. And so he would go. And then 
Ephesians, there was a building nearby, started the church there. There were Jews that put their trust in Jesus, but the church in Ephesus was mainly non-Jews, or as they're referred to, Gentiles. And so Paul is about to start a prayer, and I want to make sure you see this. If you have your Bibles open, and you can look at chapter 3, you can look at verse 1 and go, wait, Paul's getting to, getting to do something here. He's about to start a prayer. That's what verse 1 is, an intro, a preamble to a prayer, but he doesn't do it. Look at verse 14, you'll see, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, and you'll see a prayer start there. Chapter 3, verse 1, Paul starts a prayer, but today's entire prayer passage is Paul going, okay, let's pray. Oh, but wait, 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 guys, guys, you, you got to get this. That's what this passage is. Paul's getting ready to start a prayer, and he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Just, I got I to gotta, I gotta get this off my chest. It's pretty cool. This is what this particular passage is, and this will blow your mind. And he, so he starts this sidebar, sidebar, verses 2 through 13 are pretty much a sidebar. He says, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. The stewardship of God's grace. So there was a strategy. There was something that God was doing. And notice that this is the way Paul phrases it. God gave him the implementation of this strategy. Paul wasn't the only one given the stewardship of God's grace, but he was the preeminent one, especially of his day and even, even to now, probably. And this is just one of the things that blows Paul's mind. I was given stewardship of God's grace for you. Not only was I given stewardship of God's grace, but verse 3. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. Talking about what he's written previously. A mystery was made known to me. And I've written a little about it. What mystery? I'm glad you asked. But Paul isn't going to tell you yet. He goes on in verse 4. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. And so we're going we're gonna to just spend a minute on this word mystery. When we think of a mystery, we think of something we haven't figured out yet. My niece Lydia is going to get a meal out of this. I already warned her. But she, more than anyone I think I know in my entire life, loves to read. Loves to read. You said, hey, tomorrow we're going out to the cottage and start a fire and we're going to read from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. She'd be like, yes! And the rest of us would be like, I can get a couple hours, maybe, if you push it. She just loves to read and read and read. And one of the favorite things she likes to read is Agatha Christie mysteries because they're great. We've been able to watch some of the movie adaptations of her novels because I don't like to read them. <laughs> okay? Including the one lately that was last in the theaters was great. And a mystery in those settings is simply something that needs to be figured out. We chase down clues, interview people, go down rabbit trails. In the end, oh, we figured it out. The English and the Greek words do not have the same meaning. So I'm just going to let Stott talk for a minute about the Greek word mysteria. And he says it's different, however. 
although still a secret, it is no longer, no longer closely guarded, but open. Originally, the Greek word, this mysterion, referred to a truth into which someone had been initiated. Indeed, it came to be used of the secret teachings of the heathen mystery religions, if you've heard of them. Teachings which were restricted just to the initiates. But in Christianity, there are no esoteric mysteries reserved for spiritual elite. On the contrary, the Christian mysteries are truths which, although beyond human discovery, have been revealed by God and so now belong openly to the whole church. And he puts it this way, right up here on the screen. More simply, Mysterion is a truth hitherto hidden from human knowledge or understanding, but now disclosed by the revelation of God. The difference is, we don't figure anything out. God reveals it. You following? Traditionally a mystery? Oh, we figured it out? Okay, it's not a mystery anymore. In this case, it's a mystery completely hidden. The only way we're able to access it is if God supernaturally reveals it. And that's why Paul is going kind of nuts about it. And he says this in verse 5. Talking about this mystery, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, it is as, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Realize he hasn't revealed what the mystery is yet. You all, I can tell, I can see you're all just getting a little closer to the end of your, edge of your seat. Okay? Don't leave yet. Paul's going to reveal very shortly what the mystery is. Hold on, he's not ready yet. But he's just saying made known to me the mystery. So read verse, verse 5, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations as has been now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. By the Spirit. This is something that had not been revealed in all of the Hebrew scripture, scriptures. Isaiah didn't figure it out, not Moses, not any of the prophets, not even John the Baptist. The mystery was hidden from all of them. He reserved it to be revealed now. What is it? What could be so amazing, so magnificent that this was the mystery Paul devoted his life to? He paused his prayer. He said, wait, i got to tell you this. He was on the edge of the seat, brought everybody else to the edge of their seat, and so we come to mind blow number one. There's three of them, by the way. That just happens that way. There's three mind blows. Number one, the mystery itself. Verse 6, we're going to dive right in. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body. This describes the mystery. Believing Jews and believing Gentiles come together as one in the body in the church. I just blew your mind. No one gasped. No one fell out of their chair. No one clapped. Okay, thank you, thank you. Why? This is old news. We're like, oh, yeah, the church, everybody, you're welcome. It's all good. Yeah, uh-huh. If you've been in church for a few weeks, this becomes old news. You yawn a little bit. 
but I need you to hear this. If all you knew was the Old Testament, and this is difficult for us to get here as 21st century Americans who have been so blessed with God's word and spend 90% of our time in the New Testament and 10% in the Old just because someone guilted us into it. But if all you had was the Old Testament and you heard this, you would be absolutely shocked and stunned when you heard this. Why? Because it was no secret that God was going to bring salvation to the Gentiles through the Jews. It was even promised to Abraham, I will bless all nations through you. Stars in the sky, the whole nine yards that we've talked about over. No secret here. But I want to make sure you understand why this is a mind blow. The amazing mind-blowing part of this revelation is that God would bring salvation to the Gentiles and they were still Gentiles. If you would ask someone before Jesus, can a Gentile be saved? The answer would be, absolutely. Well, how would we do that? Well, get circumcised, come under the law of Moses, get a kosher diet, basically become a Jew and you can be saved. That was the answer. And the revelation, nowhere found in the Old Testament, nowhere, dig all you like, nowhere found in the Old Testament is that God was going to bring Jew and Gentile into a new body. One new society, one new body called the church. In chapter 2, Paul says, making one new man from the two. In early Christian writings, Christians refer to themselves as the third race. We're not Jew, we're not Gentile, we're not Greek, we're not Roman. We are a new race, we are the church. Wow! Okay, this is why it's a mind-blowing mystery revealed by God. In today's society, we're in a different place. The fault lines are in different places. It was very much along Jew, Gentile, racial kind of lines. It could be race. It could be economic. It could be cultural. It could be political. We rise above all of that in the body of Christ. We are one. This is the mystery that God rolled out completely unknown previously. And so Paul says, together we are partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. There's no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. You think you're special because you're smart? You think you're special because you're holy? No, there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Inside the church, we are all nothing but receivers of the gift that none of us deserved. Every man and every woman has an equal standing in Jesus. It's through to, if it's through to tradition, we don't get equal standing. If it's through the priesthood, we don't get equal standing. If it's through obedience to the law, we don't get equal standing. If it's through our ancestry, we don't get equal standing. But through the gospel, we get equal standing. This is the mystery that God has, re has revealed. And so you have to, when you read Ephesians and you hear Paul preaching to Gentiles who had always been on the out, that they are now in, and this is how it's mind-blowing. So mind-blow number two, the minister of the mystery. 
Okay, Paul's, Paul shared, this is nuts. The Old Testament never said a word about this, and God has revealed it to the prophets and apostles. But mind blow number two starts in verse seven of this gospel. I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. And here's the mind blow, verse 8. To me, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was, was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. To me. And Paul calls himself the least of all the saints. This is the mind blow. And this is not false humility. This is not like Caleb saying, well, I'm not very good at guitar. And then you just watch him. And you're like, you're just lying. And you're trying to be humble. It's not like that. This isn't false humility. I believe that Paul... Redeemed as he was, spent time with Jesus as he did, was haunted by his past. He was haunted by his past. We read our Bibles and we're like, oh, what an amazing, oh, blah, blah, he's a good. No, I believe Paul was haunted. In Galatians 1, he says, I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. In Acts 26, 11, and I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make, listen, Paul says, I tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. I don't believe for a moment Paul took pride in any of that. It was his shame. And so when he says, I'm the least of the saints. He means it. He means it, and it's a mind blow that God would use him and reveal the mystery to him to preach this mystery to the Gentiles. He was responsible for the death of many believers and even tried to force them to deny their faith. Can you imagine how that would weigh on someone? The NIV translates this passage in this way, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given. Mind blow. And this is why Paul celebrates the grace of God so much in his writing. He is keenly aware that it is not his own brains or hard work or heritage that... that that allowed God to go, oh, wow, Paul, you're amazing. Let me use you to reveal this mystery through. No, the complete opposite. The last person in the world that you would expect God to pick, God picked. It's a mind blow. Not his own brains. It's not his hard work. It's not his heritage that made God give him the privilege to, verse 9, to bring light, hear this, for everyone. What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? 
check this out. Paul says, bring to light for everyone. He has been talking quite a bit about his ministry to the Gentiles, and here he broadens it to everyone. And so Judaism enforced the idea to the entire non-Judaistic world that they need to stay out. Here's a veil, stay out. Here's a wall, stay out. Here's a kosher eating table, stay out. Here's our customs, stay out. And the Gentile world got the message that they were not welcome. And they were excluded, and they were on the outside, and Paul was given the grace to bring light for everyone. Stop puts it this way. He says it was a message of mutual reconciliation and of joint membership in God's new society, which was also the new humanity he was creating. And so the mind blow is that God would reveal this mystery to Paul and use him to bring light to everyone. Mind blow number three. Manifold wisdom to heaven. Uh, excuse me? So let's dig into this final one. The mystery has been revealed. There's no longer any division among those who call themselves Christ's. What Jesus did on the cross made a society unlike any other, distinct from Jew and Gentile lines. And Paul has been, been given grace to bring this amazing message to everyone, but something else is going on. And if you just read through Ephesians on your couch in your quiet time, you will be tempted to just blow right by these verses because they just don't really sound like much that really applies to what I'm doing today. There's a reason that God has done this. It might not be the only reason, but it's a big reason. Verse 10, check this out. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So let's just dig into manifold wisdom for a moment. Manifold, many folds, many sides, many facets. If you're John Robertson, many levels. Okay? Ten of you that hear that all the time know what I'm talking about. And that word manifold is so loaded, it's got sermons in it of just... You'll never get to the end of it. The manifold wisdom of God. God wants to make it known. He wants to make his wisdom known. It was hidden. Now he's making it known. How is he making it known? He's making it known through the church. He's making it known through you and me. You are not the target here. You are the tool. Making it known to who? God is using the church to make his manifold wisdom known to who? Rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What? 
John McKay says it this way, the history of the Christian church becomes a graduate school for angels. Stick to my notes. Most commentators believe that it is both angels and demons that are being referred to here. That will be shown the manifold wisdom of God. And the mind blow is not that God is going to reveal his manifold wisdom to these angelic beings, these heavenly powers. The mind blow is that he's using us to do it. Have you ever even considered that you are a tool that God is using to train angels? That's a mind blow. Because ain't none of you worthy of that calling. Nor am I. God is using the church, you and me, to display his wisdom to angelic beings, both faithful and fallen. Mind blown. And so... I I need you to hear this. Can I say this? If this is true, you have a calling greater than you or I could ever imagine. And when I say you, I shouldn't say you. If this is true, we have a calling greater than any of us could ever have imagined. This isn't a self-help book. This isn't a self-help club. This is The society that God has put together focused on what Christ has done for us and his purpose is to teach angels his wisdom. I don't even know what to think about that because I'm an American zombie that gets up every day and does the same thing for some 70 years and then dies. You're an angel trainer. That's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. There's the mind blow part. Verse 11. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 12. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Okay. Paul's just rattled off three mind blows. The mystery itself. The fact that Paul was the guy that God chose to reveal this mystery through, and number three, that this wisdom is being revealed to angels through us. And he ends it, that God has purposed this for eternity. This is what he's doing. That a mystery would be revealed, that there would be one society of those that follow Christ with no other delineators, that God would reveal that mystery through Paul and that God would use us to make this mystery known to angels. We have boldness. We have access through our faith in him. This verse 11 and 12 are just like, okay, let's, um, let's throw them at the sermons on there. 
The gospel is truth from God. It is riches for us. And it's revealed to the angelic beings through us. Wow. Wow. Okay? If you're just reading Ephesians and you bomb through this and you miss this, you're missing the mind blow. And I love how this section ends. Verse 13. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Do you hear this? God is teaching angels lessons. Don't worry about me. Do you think at all that some of you could look at your challenges and struggles like what's happening through them is that God is using you and your faith in Christ to teach angels? Mind blown. Back to the point. And Paul has just developed it great. The mission that Jesus was sent on created a society unlike any other. It's us. It's us. We have visions that are far too small. We have ideas about this community that are far too small. We don't realize that God is actually doing something, can I use the word cosmic, with our fellowship, with our singing together, with our serving one another. We are that society. The world will try over and over to create Tolosa, a place where we can fix things on our own. On this side of heaven, we know it'll never happen. But God has created a new society based on his son, revealed to Paul and to us, and used to teach angels. Okay, so the major lesson that we learn from this first half of Ephesians 3 is this is the church and how central it is in scripture some people construct a christianity which consists entirely of a personal relationship with jesus and i do never want to diminish that but those that would have nothing to do with the church are missing what the bible is calling us to Others have just went, you know what, I'm kind of done with it because, oh boy, have you met those people? I understand. God has created this new society. He's still building it. He's still refining it. Hear me. If God has not abandoned it, how can we? It has a central place in his plan. It has a central place in his plan to instruct heavenly authorities. Mind blown. So by, by way of application, and singers and musicians, you guys can go ahead and come on up. Consider what you think about church. Consider what you think about church. And I would tell you that your view of it is far too small. 
may this passage, these 13 verses, this Paul going, hey, let's, no, let's not pray. I, I, gotta, I gotta get something off my chest. I gotta share this with you. May these verses help you understand a little better what God is doing, what he has done, and the importance of it in your life. And the foundation of all of it is grace. If you're here today and what I'm saying just sounds like craziness, well, I guess a bunch of it actually is. This is God's wisdom, which is foolishness to man. But this new society is made up of people that have done one simple thing. They've said, you know what? I will not be made right with God on my own. I can't do it. I can't climb high enough. I can't, I can't work hard enough. I can't be good enough. God sent his son, he sent Jesus Christ to earth to pay the penalty for our sin and to purchase a place in heaven for us for eternity. That's the gospel. It is not about how hard we work, it is not about any of that, but God puts that together. And if you understand that reality that you will not be made right with God without him, he just calls you to believe. He calls you to put your trust in him not in yourself for eternal life. And the foundation for every bit of it is grace. God giving what we don't deserve through Jesus Christ. And so we're going to sing this song together, Grace to Grace. We've been sung it a couple times the last couple weeks. Love it. How wonderful, how glorious. My Savior's scars victorious. My chains are gone. My debt is paid from death to life and grace to grace. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do. As C.S. Lewis said, we, we're so often just happy to play around in mud puddles when what you offer us is a glorious experience with you and a relationship with you. May each one of us today have been challenged with the reality that this mystery that you've created in a new society for those that have put their faith in Jesus, and that you're using us, the people in this room, to train heavenly powers and authorities. Heavenly Father, I will tell you that's a mind blow. And when I say it's a mind blow, we, even now, can barely comprehend what that even could possibly look like. And so help us. Help us to do a couple things, Lord. Help us to not look at just the physical around us. Help us to understand that our lives, our testimonies, our service to others, our service to you, our love for you is being watched. And it's a training plan for angels. Yikes, Lord. Even those words, they just sound crazy, and they are. But I thank you that it's your truth. I thank you that you've revealed it to us. And I thank you that we've been able to study this together today. May each of us grow and be changed how your word impacts us. In Jesus' name, amen.